Chapter Seven of the Boy Scouts of Woodcraft Camp by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven First Lessons. Walter's skill with his camera gradually won for him the distinction of being the best photographer in camp. When, therefore, he somewhat diffidently told Chief Woodhull of his ambition to secure some flashlight views of deer, the chief listened attentively to the plans suggested for securing them and promised to lay them before Dr. Miriam. Imagine Walter's delight when, on the following day, the big chief sent for him, and after close questioning informed him that it was arranged for him to make a two-day's trip to Lonesome Pond with Big Jim for the purpose of trying for the coveted photographs of wild deer in their native haunts. It was an almost unprecedented honor for a first-year boy. The privilege of making such an expedition alone with one of the guides was reserved for the older boys whose experience and training fitted them for the roughing which such a trip usually involved. Walter Fairley walked on air when he left Dr. Miriam to seek Big Jim and make the necessary arrangements. He found the guide tinkering with a jacklight. Dr. Miriam says, began Walter. I know about it, son, interrupted the guide. You and me will be partners for a couple of days, and we'll start before daylight tomorrow morning. "'Rustle around now and get your picture machine ready. "'I reckon Mr. Peaked Toes will be a mighty unsartain subject, "'a little mite bashful. "'If you don't get him the first shot, "'tain't likely he'll wait for a second, "'so it's up to you to have everything in work in order. "'Run over and tell Cookie that I want two loaves of bread, "'a slab of bacon, some butter in a wide-mouth jar, "'flour, salt, cocoa and sugar for two days' trip.' We're going light, so you won't need to bring nothing but your fish rod, blankets, sneaks, and an extra handkerchief. Better turn in early, for we want to start at four o'clock sharp. Have Cookie set up a lunch. Now skip. At quarter of four the next morning, Walter slipped out of the wigwam. The moon had not yet set, while in the east appeared the first faint flush of the coming day. The forest lay black and still. For a moment or two he shivered in the chill of the outer air after the warmth of the wigwam. There was a light in the guide's cabin, and thither he made his way at once. Just outside the door stood a pack-basket, a tightly rolled blanket lashed across it, and the handle of a frying-pan protruding from the top. Big Jim's favorite paddle leaned against it. As Walter approached, the door opened and his guide stepped out. "'Hello, pard,' said he. I was just coming over to pull you out of your blankets. Come in here and have a cup of hot cocoa and stow that sack away. It's easier to carry inside than out. When Walter had gulped down the hot drink and eaten the lunch put up for him by the cook, he felt ready for anything. As they took their way down the trail to the lake, the hoot of a great horned owl suddenly broke the silence and wakened startled echoes on old Scraggy. Old fly-by-night must have poor hunting last evening, said the guide. Do you see him, son? Walter searched the trees near at hand, but could make out nothing that resembled a bird, and his chagrin was deepened by his guide's next remark. Them books may tell you where to look. They don't teach you how to use the eyes God give you. Now any five-year-old born in the woods would have seen that big swelled-up bunch of feathers first thing. Look at that tall pine stump over to the right, and— rang the fierce cry again, and almost on the instant the top of the stump resolved into a huge broad-winged bird 
that swiftly and noiselessly dropped behind a low hemlock. A moment later it reappeared, a hare struggling in its talons, and flew heavily over toward a swamp. Big Jim promptly seized upon the episode to drive home a lesson in woodcraft. Pard, said he, there's a better lesson than the ABC of wood life I could ever give you in a month of talking. If that hare hadn't let its nerves go to the jump, and had remembered what she ought to have knowed before she was born, that to set tight and not move a muscle when you don't want to be seen is the first law of the woods. She'd be sitting nice and snug this very minute instead of stuffing old fly-by-night's craw. Puss was nervous. The hoot startled her, and she moved just a little bit. Probably she rustled a leaf. Them big owls is all ears. Back son, the whole side of the head is pretty near as an ear. He heard that leaf rustle, and he was Johnny on the spot in a jiffy. You saw what happened. Never make a sudden move in the woods. Sit tight if you don't want to be seen, or move so slowly that nothing's going to notice it. Don't never forget it. You've just seen what forgetting may cost. When you go to the woods, leave your nerves to home. The pack basket and duffel were stowed in the middle of the canoe. Walter took the bow seat and the guide, kneeling in the stern, for he had never outgrown his early training when canoes of his acquaintance had no seats, shot the little craft out into the lake. As they turned into the low, marshy estuary which marked the outlet of the lake, the first rays of the rising sun glanced over Mount Seward. Once in the main channel of the river they felt the gentle force of the current, and under Jim's powerful stroke they swept swiftly on, Walter had been doing his full share, for he was a good paddler. But now the guide suggested that he put up his paddle and hold his camera ready for whatever they might surprise along the river's edge, or up some of the numerous setbacks. The boy put his paddle aside, and, slipping a film pack into the camera, set the focus for one hundred feet. Then, with thumb and forefinger and his right hand on the focusing screw, ready to shorten the focus should he get within less than a hundred feet of a subject, he set himself to watch the shores. Remember now, no talking, no sudden moves, cautioned the guide. Alas for Walter, the lesson had yet to be driven home. Not five minutes later the canoe shot around a bend and without a sound glided into a setback. Almost instantly a low warning hiss from Big Jim put Walter on his guard. The canoe seemed merely to drift, but if the boy could have seen the guide, he would have witnessed a magnificent exhibition of the canoeman's art as, with paddle deep in the water and moving so slowly as to make hardly a perceptible ripple, he kept the craft under perfect control. Walter, every nerve tense, scanned the shores in a vain effort to discover the cause of the guide's warning. Inch by inch the canoe crept on, and still the boy saw nothing but the placid, pad-strewn surface of the water and the forest-lined shore. Presently his eager ears caught a faint splash off to his right. Like a flash he turned, swinging his camera with him. The next instant he realized his mistake. With a sharp whistle of surprise and alarm, a doe noisily splashed shoreward from a point not fifty yards distant. There she had been standing among the lily pads. From the instant the canoe had first caught her attention and excited her curiosity, she had remained so motionless that Walter had failed utterly to pick her out from the background with which her protective coloring blended so marvelously. But the moment the boy moved, she whirled for shore, sending the water flying in a shower of silver. 
as the boy in open-mouthed astonishment watched her she lightly leapt a fallen log and with a parting flirt of her white flag disappeared in the undergrowth walter's chagrin was too deep for words indeed he was very near to tears as he realized what a rare opportunity he had missed and how wholly his own fault it was he did not dare look at big jim and there was no comfort in the guide's slow sarcastic drawl a clean miss pard did them books teach you that lightning whirl pears to me that you and puss back there keepin company with the old fly-by-night along in the same class now if your memory had been as good as your fidgetry we'd most likely have drifted right up to that deer no use wasting more time here some day when you have learned a little more woodcraft maybe we'll run down and try it again this surely was rubbing it in and big jim meant it to be so right down in his big heart he was almost as disappointed for the boys as was the boy himself but he felt that this was the time to drive the lesson home every word stung the chagrined young photographer like whiplash and he could not trust himself to make reply he was mortified beyond expression for he had prided himself that he knew the value of noiselessness and motionlessness and that when the test should come he would win golden opinions from the guide for his display of woodcraft now at the very first opportunity he had failed miserably acting like the veriest tyro and he felt himself humbled to the last degree had he turned he might have caught a kindly twinkle in the blue eyes watching the dejected droop of his figure but he kept his face steadily to the front gazing fixedly ahead yet seeing nothing automatically he swung his paddle and gloomily lived over the bitterness of his mistake they were now once more in the current and in a matter-of-fact way the guide suggested that walter put his paddle up and be ready for whatever else might offer as he adjusted the camera the boy resolved that this time come what might he would show big jim that he had learned his lesson the opportunity came sooner than he had dared hope it would the canoe swerved sharply toward the east bank and presently walter made out a little brown bunch on the end of a log with a nod of the head he signaled the guide that he saw and then attended strictly to his end of the matter in hand by this time the canoe was close in to the bank so deftly handled that it would approach within twenty feet of the log before emerging from the screen of a fallen tree which the guide had instantly noted and taken advantage of jim was paddling only enough for steerage way allowing the current to drift them down they were now close to the fallen tree and the guide began to silently work the little craft around the outer end walter had reduced the focus to twenty-five feet as he drifted nearer and nearer to the subject he began to shake with nervous excitement so that it was only by the exercise of all his will-power that he could hold the camera steady inch by inch they crept past the tree and walter strained his eyes for a glimpse of the old log with its little bunch of fur he was holding his breath from sheer excitement ha there was the outer end of the log and there a foot or so back sat a muskrat wholly oblivious to their presence slowly with the utmost caution walter turned in his seat so slowly that it seemed ages to him the guide had checked the canoe within less than twenty feet of the log and walter altered his focus accordingly now in his reflecting finder he nearly saw the little fur bearer a muscle in his paws 
with a sigh of relief walter heard the click of the shutter in response to the squeeze of the bulb held in his left hand then as the rat made a frightened plunge he remembered that he had forgotten to withdraw the slide before making the exposure it is an error that the novice frequently makes and that the expert is sometimes guilty of it was therefore not surprising that under the stress of excitement walter should suffer this lapse of memory but coming as it did immediately after his other fiasco it was almost more than he could bear big jim was chuckling delightedly over the supposed success reckon muskie never set for his picture afore did he look pleasant pard you sure did that trick well had a bit of buck fever fussed along i reckon thought you seemed kind of shaky don't you mind that one i seen a feller with a clean open shot at a standin' deer within fifty yards wobble his rifle round so that the safest thing in that neighborhood was that thar deer now we'll go on for the next walter did not have the courage to tell the guide then of his second blunder but resolved that when they got in camp that night he would own up like a man for the next three miles nothing eventful occurred then the boy got his third chance it was a great blue heron this time it was standing on one foot the other drawn up until it was hidden among the feathers of the under part of the body the long neck was laid back on the shoulders a sharp bill half buried in the feathers of the breast the big bird appeared to be dozing the light fell just right and it was intensified by reflection from the water walter felt sure of a good photograph little by little the canoe drifted in forty feet thirty twenty ten click this time there was no mistake working quickly but cautiously with as little motion as possible he pulled out and tore off the tab set the shutter and as the big bird spread its wings a second click caught it in the very start of its flight the shutter was set at two hundredth part of a second so that despite the nearness of the subject walter felt reasonably certain that little movement would show in the photograph get em asked jim two of em replied walter a note of pardonable pride in his voice that's the stuff you're learning fast said the guide once more shooting the canoe into the current this success went far to offset the previous failures and the boy's spirits rose he began to enjoy his surroundings as he had not been able to since the episode with the deer mile after mile slipped behind them the limpid brown water sliding between the unbroken wilderness on either bank try as he would he could not get over the impression of sliding downhill such was the optical effect of the swiftly moving water at last he heard a dull roar which increased in volume with every minute then they rounded a sharp turn and before them the whole river became a churning tumbling mass of white with here and there an ugly black rock jutting above the surface the canoe felt the increased movement of the water and the boy's heart beat faster as the bow of the little craft still pointed straight down the middle of the river could it be the big jim would try to run those tumbling roaring rapids sit tight and don't move came the guide's sharp terse command the canoe all but grazed the great gray boulder and dead ahead not two inches under water walter saw another surely they must strike this and then he closed his eyes just for a second when he opened them the canoe was shooting just through the churning froth on the edge of a rock and that immediate danger was past he realized then how completely the man behind him was master of the river and their craft 
With fascinated eyes, he watched each new danger loom up and pass almost before he realized its ugly threat. The roar of the rapids was now so loud that it drowned all other sounds. Presently he became aware that they were no longer in midstream. With a few powerful strokes, the guide shot the canoe into the back eddy, and a second later it grounded lightly on a tiny sand beach where Jim held it until Walter could leap out and pull it up securely. "'How do you like that?' shouted the guide as he lifted his pack basket out. "'Great,' replied the boy, his eyes shining with excitement as he helped take out the duffel. Big Jim adjusted the basket to his back, lashed the paddles across the thwarts of the canoe, so that when they rested on his shoulders, with the canoe inverted over his head, it balanced perfectly, and leaving Walter to follow with the rest of the duffel, plunged into what seemed at first glance an almost impenetrable thicket of maple, birch, and moosewood. Walter found, however, that there was a well-defined trail, albeit a rough one. It followed the course of the river, over moss-grown decaying tree trunks, across old skidways, now firm to the foot and again a bed of oozy black swamp monk in which he sank halfway to his knees. After a mile of this they came out on the bank of the river, just at the foot of the falls which marked the end of the rapids. A canoe was launched at once, and in a few minutes they were again speeding downstream. Three and a half miles below they made another portage. This put them in a lake, at the upper end of which a shallow stream connected with a string of three small ponds. The last of these was known as Lonesome Pond, and this was their destination. End of chapter 7